Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. They were talented. They take time pursuing excellence. They were ready for battle no matter what it was. That's the kind of people I want to hang around with. People that strive for excellence. Now, we're all people and we all blow it. But I hate mediocrity. And it shouldn't be in the church of Jesus Christ. You see, God gave everything for us. And that means we're certainly not going to be perfect. But we ought to give everything we have to God. It's the weekend and you've planned a wonderful party. From the food to the decor, you've made sure every last detail has been attended to. Everything is perfect. So you sit back and wait for everyone to arrive. You wait and wait and wait. But as the hours pass, you realize you never invited anyone. The same holds true for our churches. When you look around at a fellowship, most of the people sitting there first came because someone invited them. When you have fellowship with other believers, you can learn, grow, and disciple others. If you never tell anyone about the party, how can they come? From salvation to discipleship, it's a place to grow. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now let's join Pastor Mark in the book of First Chronicles chapter 11, verse 17 with today's study. that time David was in the stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. Verse 17, and David longed for water. And he said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. Why is David remembering this? Because of verse 18. So the three broke through the Philistines line, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David. In other words, they put their life on the line for a drink of water. Look what he does in verse 18. But David refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Now, how would you have felt? Thanks a lot. But he did it for the Lord. What he did was this. These guys thought enough of me to do that. I'm going to honor God with that. That's a wonderful gesture of love. So it says, verse 19, God forbid that I should do this. Should I drink the blood of those men who were at risk, who went at risk for their lives because they risked their lives to bring it back? David would not drink it. So once again, we see this. Love is always other-centered. And as David is thinking back kindly, how he got here and the men he had around him, he said, you know what? These guys knew that I wanted that drink. They knew it would refresh me. They risked their lives to do that for me. That's the kind of people David had around him. They weren't selfish. Do you know, we have to show love to the world just like that. I think we have to realize that we need to put our lives on the line for God. You know, sometimes we just need to be made fun of to take living water to people who are thirsty. Remember Jesus at the well? He met that Samaritan woman. When he met the Samaritan woman, 
he was kind of putting his life on the line because Jews didn't intermingle with Samaritans. You remember in the disciples, they were off in town getting some food. And Jesus said to this woman, she was thirsty. But she was thirsty for something that she didn't know. Jesus went through to her. Let me read you what he says in the book of John. Jesus says this, Everyone who drinks this water, the water at the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is the living water, and we have to put our lives on the line to share. So many of our friends are drinking at wells that never satisfy. Power, prosperity, possessions, all they did they're just drinking and, and never said why? Because there's only one water that satisfies. Till you come to a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ, you'll never be quenched, and that thirst will never that's designed by God. So remember that. David is thinking back kindly. We need to think about that self, ourselves. The only answer, guys, to our world is Jesus Christ. Whether it's in song, whether it's in word, whether it's from you as a friend, Jesus Christ is the answer. He is the one. We need to show that. By the way, love is always other-centered. And that needs to be true in our marriages. I don't know how many are here, but those of you that are husbands and wives, are you showing love? Are you being selfish? Wives for your husband, husbands for your wives, children for your parents. Be people of love in the home. Don't be self-centered. Husband, if you need to do something kind tomorrow, do it. Wives, same way. When you get home, tell your wife you love her. Husband, do the same. Huh? Kids, Say, thanks, Dad, for being mean to me and making me go to church. That's right. It's not mean. They're thinking kindly of you. Verse 20. Now we have Joab's brother, chief of the three. He raised his spear against 300 men. Here's another one of these superhumans again. So he became famous as a three. He was doubly honored above the three and became commander, even though he was not included in them. And Benahiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, who performed great exploits. He struck down two of Moab's best men. He went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. So David's thinking back on all of these things. And he struck down a, an Egyptian, a seven and a half foot man. He struck him down. And he, David's thinking back at this guy. And the Egyptian had a spear like a weaver's rod in his hand. And he went against him with a club. And he snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Now, how's that? That's because of God's power in these guys. Look down at verse 25. David has these three around him, and David put him in charge of his bodyguard. Why? Because the guy was bold for the Lord. Went against this huge giant. You see, when you read these men, David knew these people faithfully. He knew their names. He knew their exploits. He knew he could trust them with their lives. Let me ask you a very important question. Answer this question. Who are your friends? What do they look like? Could you list them like David's listing them? Do you have that kind of relationship? Are there people that would lay their life, outside of your family now, are there people that would lay their life down for you? 
Are, are there people that you have, friendships that you have, if something goes wrong, you know you can trust them with your life? That's very important. I have people around me like that. The elders, when we meet, we just pray for each other. I trust those guys with my life. And they do with me. That's important. The reason this church grows, that's one of the reasons. Because we're in unity at the top. See, if I couldn't trust those guys, and I'm always covering myself, because somebody over there is going to defend me, or going to get ahead of me, and going to jealously try to get the thing, whatever, man, we'd have a nightmare. Would you lay your life down for some people in this body? What kind of friends do you have? You say, well, I don't have too many. Then that's why this Bible study is for you. Too many of us live unto ourselves. We need to have friends outside your family. You need to have people that you can trust with your life. And that's what should happen here in the body of Christ. By the way, in the early church, it happened all over. Those people just trusted each other to the end. Same for you and I tonight. Turn with me quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I'm just going to take a moment to do this and go right through quick. You see, it's not only in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 17, Paul is speaking. He's speaking about his friends. He knows them by name. He says, I was glad when Stephanus and Fortunatus and Archicaius arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. Verse 18, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. Paul shares that these three men left their responsibilities in the town of Corinth and traveled to Ephesus to where Paul was. When they came, they refreshed him. It was a good sign. They left their responsibilities to think about somebody else. So many of us, that's a great sign of maturing in the Lord. When you begin to think about how you can help other people in their lives, how you can refresh them. Paul wanted somebody to lighten his load. Here's another time. He enjoyed this personal visit from these three men. He names them. Paul was a people person. If you're a Christian, you should be a people person. You should enjoy people. You should enjoy working for people. You should enjoy having people over to your home. You should enjoy being in their home, in their fellowship. Do you have people to your home? Are you open to having people? Do you enjoy being around people? Say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm I'm just doing too many things for God. I don't have time for people. That's what we are. It is people. Some of you tonight need to leave tonight and say, hey, let's go on down to wherever. Go on out for a half hour with somebody you just met tonight here, whatever. Go out and have a burger somewhere or do something. Get to know them. You see, we have to be around people. Paul knew these people by name. And you'll see, and I don't have time to go through this chapter, you can just see these name after name after name after name. And he met thousands of people, but he loved people. You need to love people. I need to love people. No man is an island. Paul was being refreshed because earlier he had refreshed these guys. He had poured his life into them. Look what Proverbs 11.25 says. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So if I give to you, you guys give back to me. I mean, really, it happens all along. Look at verse 19. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets at their house. 
So here's more people that Paul knows, Aquila and Priscilla. You remember they were tent makers. They knew Paul. They were serving others. They were showing hospitality. You can see what kind of church was there. Now, you remember earlier, Paul was teaching in a rented hall called the, the Hall of Tyrannus. It's kind of like our corporate fellowship here. But now look where they're at. They're in a home setting. There the church was meeting in the home. It was just a small group. I think that's very important. Much of our fellowship happens here. This is where we grow. This is where we learn. This is where we understand the Word of God. This is where we worship in a corporate setting. And it's, it's a great time. People look forward to coming. I look forward to coming. I hope you look forward to coming. And it's an exciting time. But it's very hard to meet people. So we have to be in the smaller groups. You have to be in a home group. You have to invite somebody over to your place. You, you need to get plugged in. You need to have that kind of fellowship. I dealt with somebody this week in a counseling session. And I won't go into detail, but it's really a cult. But it challenged me with some of the things in that cult that, that are way off the dead end. But one of the things that challenged me when I talked to the individual was that they do care about people. Guys, we need to care about one another. Not to the point where we're legalistic and you're going to have a check off when you walk in the door. You know that's never going to happen here. Nobody knows what you give or how you give. We don't pay any attention. We don't have membership. But does that mean we don't care for you? Does that mean we're not watching for you? You come here long enough, you'll know. We watch. People are shocked. They say, how did you know I wasn't there for two Sundays in a row? This <laughs> is a gift God gave me. Now it's getting a little harder. Actually, it's getting a lot harder. Sometimes I ask my wife, were you there last Sunday? <laughs> so we have to be careful. But we do care for one another. That's important. If this is your church, get yourself involved. Back to Chronicles. I want you to look down at verse 41, because it's an interesting verse in verse 41. He's listing all these people that were friends of David's. How interesting. Who does he list? See anybody interesting in verse 41? Uriah. They hit that. Now, who was Uriah? Remember David? He was out on the porch. Bathsheba was taking a bath. He called for her. She was off limits. She was married. They made love. She got pregnant. David tried to trick Uriah into coming back. But he was more honorable than the king. Finally, David said, the only way I can get through this is send Uriah to the front line. Uriah went to the front line and was killed. I think it's interesting here that King David was undeserving of this man's loyalty. And yet he still lists him. This is after the fact. He knew. It's amazing to me. Now, chapter 12 is another whole different chapter. I'm not going to take a lot of time except to mention a couple things in there. Because most of these are a list of tribes, same kind of thing, list of men. Faithful people in our lives, but they're by the tribes of Israel. Just look down at a couple verses. Look down at verse 2. He's talking about this next group of men who were warriors. And they would have demanded a high, if they were free agencies in the baseball world, they demand a high agency because they were right and left-handed both. They could do whatever. Look at, they were armed with bows and were able to shoot arrows or sling stones right-handed or left-handed. They were kinsmen of Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. Some Gadites defected to take to David at his stronghold in the desert. They were brave warriors, ready for battle, able to handle the shield and spear. Their faces were the faces of lion, and they were swift as gazelles in the mountains. Verse 2 and 8 give us a great picture of excellence. 
not mediocrity. These men were gifted. They were talented. They take time pursuing excellence. They were ready for battle no matter what it was. That's the kind of people I want to hang around with. People that strive for excellence. Now, we're all people and we all blow it. But I hate mediocrity. And it shouldn't be in the church of Jesus Christ. You see, God gave everything for us. And that means we're certainly not going to be perfect. But we ought to give everything we have to God. One of Chuck Swindoll, in one of his great leadership traits, he says this, we all ought to have a strong commitment to excellence in everything I undertake. In the things that you're doing now, is there excellence? Or just to sneak by? My desire, as I'm raising the other young pastors in this body, what I'm trying to do is model for them the best of my ability, just as a guy, just as a human guy. I'm trying to model for them excellence. You don't get in the pulpit without prayer. You don't get in the pulpit without study. You get there, and then when you go, you just let God, because it isn't us. But God works through people who work for Him. And that's my goal. The things that we have here are done with excellence. Every ministry. Where does that come from? It comes from God. That should be in our churches. Now, we're not perfect by any means. We all blow it. But our goal is excellence. And that's what David's looking. These guys that were with them, when they went out to battle, man, if the right arm, left arm's hurting, the right arm's okay. Left arm hurting, the right arm's okay. In other words, they're there. They're trained. They're sharp. Notice, look how they, they could run. They're like gazelles. They weren't mediocre. They were full on for God. I want to challenge you tonight. Second Peter, chapter one, verse five through nine. Use that in one of your devotions this week. It talks about all the wonderful things we should have in our life. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. Then it says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. See, I'm supposed to be growing. I've been a Christian for over 50 years. I'm still growing. I'm still trying to do better with God's help in my life. Don't ever stop that. Don't ever settle for anything less than excellence. Now look at Chronicles 12, verse 16. Here's something I want you to see. Other Benjamites and some other men from Judah also came to David in his stronghold. David went out to meet them and he said to them, If you have come to me in peace to help me, I'm ready to have you unite with me. But if you have come to betray me, To my enemies, when my hands are free from violence, may the God of our fathers see it and judge you. First thing David wanted, he wanted only men around him who would come in unity. Single purpose. But second, he knew some men would be there with ulterior motives. It's a real challenge. Look what he says. David says, God, you're my defense. If these people try to come in and they try to remove me, whatever, I'm not going to be vengeant against them. I'm not going after them. God, you're my defense. Remember the book of Romans says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Are you going to have people come against you? For sure. You leave them to God. God does a very good job of taking care of our enemies. You can pray about it. You can get support. You just leave your en- those enemies to God. God will take care of it. But I want you to see in that verse something very important. Take a look at verse 38. 
This also talks about it. All these were fighting men who volunteered to serve in the ranks. They came to Hebron fully determined to make David king over all Israel. All the rest of the Israelites were also of one mind. What does that mean? To make David king. It meant there was a unity. There was a purpose. The Bible over and over speaks about unity. In marriage, Amos says, can two walk together unless they agree? No. So in this church, we don't marry a believer and an unbeliever. Impossible to walk together. We only marry believers because they have to walk with God. In our churches, on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says they were in the upper room in one accord. That's right. Not a Toyota, they were in accord. They were one together. They were in unity. The early church operated in unity. And when that happened, what happened? It just made a great impact on the community. I believe because this church is in unity, we have one purpose, that God just continues to send people here. Because we are one in the Lord. Notice down in verse 39 and 40, with this unity, what happens? These men spent three days there with David eating and drinking with their families that supplied provisions for them. Also, their neighbors came as far away as all these cities, came bringing food on donkeys and camels and mules and oxen. There was plentiful supplies of flour, fig cakes, raisin cakes, wine, oil, cattle, sheep. For there was what? Joy in Israel. When you read the New Testament, that word joy just jumps out at you. All the time in the early church, there was joy. Why? That's what the kingdom of God is about. It's not about eating and drinking. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, what is our purpose in this body? Maybe you've been coming nine years. Maybe you've been coming, this is your first Sunday. What is the purpose in our body? What is our mission statement in this church? Well, it's a biblical statement. It's right here. Win, disciple, sin. Our goal is to win people to Jesus Christ doesn't stop there. The Great Commission doesn't stop there. It says go into all the world and make a disciple as a learner under loving discipline. You can learn it. I'm learning. Then we're to disciple a person. What's that mean? It means build them in faith. Build them up. We need more one-on-one, one-on-three discipleship. We need many of you that are Christians, been Christians for a while. We have so many new believers. They just need to get together with somebody an hour a week where they can ask questions. They need A personal touch. Then what's our next goal? Send them out to reach the world. Almost everybody comes to this church, comes to this church because somebody invited them here. Win, disciple, sin. Everything you do in your life, in your ministry in this church, we try to filter through this. Sometimes we get off. We have to come back to this. Should we be doing this? Well, does it fit in with these three things? Win, disciple, sin. In your own life, it should be the same way. Because that's really not a Calvary Chapel thing. That's what a Christian is. Friends are very important in our lives. David had faithful friends. The community was together. There was joy. And they made a mark for God. We're making a mark for God because there's joy and there's unity. Let's make sure we're friends. Let's make sure you're a friend. As we listen to how King David valued and thrived in the support of his friends, we were exhorted to consider our own efforts to build relationships with other believers. 
Are we inviting people over to our homes, becoming invested in Bible study with others, asking unbelievers to church? Pastor Mark outlined the three things that a church should be doing with new believers. Win, teach, and send out as disciples of Christ. Facebook and Twitter have become a regular part of our everyday lives, and we want to be sure to encourage you to check out our Facebook page and Twitter feed. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links. You can find information about everything that's happening at Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Again, to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our Twitter feed, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time on Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark will move into 1 Chronicles chapters 13 and 14 where King David will show wisdom as he attempts to retrieve the Ark of God back to Jerusalem. During Saul's reign, there was no effort made to take back the Ark, but David is a man who wants to put God first. Through David's experience, we'll see the vast differences between doing things God's way and doing things man's way. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues through the book of 1 Chronicles. It's next time on Lessons for Living.